Thank you. Uh, I was excited to be back here and worship with you this week. Last week, I was uh, somewhere in the mountains in eastern Washington. Actually, I have a few pictures for you. Uh, I do love me eastern Washington and how beautiful it is. This is near, uh, some, it's, it's somewhere near Loomis, Washington, which if you've never heard of it, there's more cows than people that live in Loomis, Washington. It's extremely green. I've been there, I go there this time of year, almost every year, and sometimes it's just totally brown, but evidently lots of rain and lots of snow. And in the distance, you see, actually, there's a road that I have to drive up that kind of goes up on top of that ridge and over the other side. And on the other side is, go ahead, Bruce, since uh, this is Lake Chapaca. And this, uh, it's a fly fishing lake. I'm really terrible at fly fishing. It's the whole casting thing. Thankfully, it was calm this time, and the weather was beautiful. I, I meet friends up there, and, and so it's, it's always just a really great time to get away. And occasionally, we catch fish. That's my friend Rick, and this is probably like 9, 9.30 at night, because this was the only time. There's, with fly fishing, there's bug hatches, and so you, you become really good at noticing flying things around you, and you go, oh, I should probably f switch flies right now. Uh, I'm usually like late to the game, and my, my friend Rick, he's like, no, use this one, use this one, and then we throw it. But at this time of night, there's these moths that, that they're called a sedge. They're like this big, and I don't, it really kind of creeps me out that they're really under the water all the time, and then they just, you know, swim to the top, climb out on one of those reeds, and then fly away. But, you know, the trout love them. So... Uh, really good for my soul. I'm a nature person. Uh, that's where I connect with God and see his beauty and creation most. And so it's, it's always good for me to just to get out in it and especially great when you can do it with friends. Well, uh, next week, this is kind of the transition time in our year, you know, with um, summer almost beginning and with school coming to an end, this is kind of a natural season for us to be thinking about what, you know, we're shifting gears. And so next week, we're gonna shift gears on Father's Day uh, to a new sermon series from the book of 1 Peter called The Good Life. And there's so much in the book of 1 Peter, very excited for us to preach through this this summer, uh, that applies to us today. It was written to Christians living in a very, very secular world who were just trying their best to live out their faith in the resurrected Christ. And so we're excited to begin that journey next week. This week, we're wrapping up our sermon series called Encountering Jesus, which is uh, taking a look at the different um, kind of interactions and impact that occurred when the resurrected Christ, or when people met the resurrected Jesus. So we've, you know, we've talked about Mary and Thomas and Peter and Paul and others, and along the way, we got to take a stop during one of those weeks for confirmation. We got to hear from our own middle school students who shared their God stories, the moments that they have encountered Jesus. And so that's always really special for us. And that's kind of where I want to turn today. That encountering Jesus isn't just about something that happened in the past or in our past, even though um, that's usually kind of where we start as we're, we're training our minds to notice God in our life as we, we think about, oh, what's happened before? And uh, often in hindsight, it's easier to point out like, oh, that experience or that thing that happened or that thought or decision that I made, you know, that actually was God in my life. And so it's, that's, that's the starting point that we usually take. But 
it's not just, you know, encountering Christ isn't just something that happened a while ago. At least that's what we hope and pray. That's what I hope and pray. That's how I lose sleep at night as a pastor. No, we're encountering Jesus all the time, all the time. And that's where I want to turn today. That's the gift of the Holy Spirit. And two weeks ago, we left off in the books, the book of Acts, chapter 2. And that's when the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples in power for the first time. The official name of that church holiday is Pentecost. And like I said, that happened a couple weeks ago. That's when we celebrate the gift of the Holy Spirit and the birthday of the church. And the gift of the Holy Spirit is the total game changer, to borrow an overused cliche, game changer for us. And occasionally I, you know, hear from people attending church that, you know, are honest enough or transparent enough that they they share with me, it's really hard to attend church because it kind of feels like you just never measure up. You kind of, there's always a little something to work on, whether that's in your character or a life situation that's just not quite what it should or could be in God's eyes. And while I agree that is potentially so very, very discouraging, I also, when I, when I hear people say things like that, I kind of wonder, I'm like, oh, that's the Holy Spirit in your life. And no, the Holy Spirit's job isn't to make you feel like garbage, all right? No, the Holy Spirit's job sometimes is to highlight the gap that exists in our life. It's this little self-awareness, this little voice that we have, um, that there's this gap between where we are and where God wants us to be. And there's no amount of motivation, uh, no amount of meditation, of self-improvement, of public service that can ever make up for the gap. That's the Holy Spirit showing us how much we need him and need God's power in our life. And so instead of hearing that as condemnation, like, oh, I just don't measure up, what if that's an invitation for us to allow God's spirit to draw near, to close in and begin to heal and restore and make new those areas of hurt or whatever it might be in us. That's what we mean when we talk about transformation. It's not just under your own power, it's God's power. That's the spirit in our life. And so it's always been difficult for Christians, for me, to put into words the experience of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible uses a lot of images to describe this. And sometimes we kind of mentally hold them off because they sound so extreme. Uh, Romans 6 is usually a a Bible passage that we talk about in baptism. And And it talks about from death to new life. Okay, so there's, I think we have it on the screen here. We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. I mean, there's this like oppressive death that we're experiencing, but in Christ, we've been raised, raised to new life. That's talking about the experience of God's spirit, that there's like this night and day thing that happens in you. 
Uh, 2 Corinthians 5 declares this. I'm not sure I actually gave you the right verse to put in there. Yeah, I did. There we go. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Again, like uh, that's descriptive language. The, the, the Apostle Paul is trying to describe like here's what's happened when the Holy Spirit comes into your life. You are a new creation. The old is gone. The new is here. It's similar to the idea of metamorphosis that Phil talked about last week. And uh, he, he was sharing with me about his message the week prior, and I was, I was really excited because, I mean, I had never heard as a geneticist like someone share about what's really happening on the inside of the cocoon as the worm changes to a butterfly. And, I, you know, I always thought that it was like all of those cells, I guess, just kind of get repurposed for something new. But Phil's telling me, no, like 90% of the cells die. You know, they're like recycled. They're just gone. And so when the Apostle Paul is talking about, you know, stop conforming to the ways of this world, but be transformed, that's just so vanilla. Oh, yeah, be transformed. The actual wording, like the mood, it's such bad language. He's kind of saying, stop conforming, but be being transformed. And this whole idea, like there's, there's like a death happening inside of us. The old is gone, the new is come. There's this transformation that God wants to empower in our life. And that's the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I don't know if it creeps you out to think about the power of the Holy Spirit being like, you know, turning you from a worm into a butterfly. Um, maybe you're like, I, thanks, I've got enough empowerment in my life. Um, but this, this isn't about self-improvement. It's not about self-hate or self-doubt. It's about freedom. It's about life that can only be found in Jesus. That's the gift of his spirit. And the way that we experience the ongoing life is by encountering Jesus all week long. That's what I want to talk about today. You and I can encounter Jesus each and every day. You see, on Pentecost, when the disciples were gathered together over 2,000 years ago, the Holy Spirit shows up with the sound of violent wind and tongues of fire that come to rest on the disciples. I've never had that experience. Maybe you have. I'm not sure. But it sounds terrifying, doesn't it? It did back then, too. In fact, it was so terrifying that a crowd of people started looking for the sound. They, they come down the street. They're like, what was that? And as they do so, the disciples are pouring out of the house that they were meeting in, and they're talking to this crowd of people that's in Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. So they've come from all over the place. And the people realize right away that these guys, they happen to be all guys, that are from Galilee, are speaking to them with their native, like, dialect and languages. And they're like, this is really, really weird. How can this be? Peter stands up and addresses the crowd. He says, um, 
that what you're seeing and hearing is the culmination of God's deliberate plan. That Jesus, who died, you know, just a short while ago, rose from the dead, ascended to heaven, and then he said this, Therefore, let all Israel, this is Acts 2, 36, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And he's sharing with them about the gap, that Jesus' death is an atoning sacrifice. It means it's covered over. The gap is covered over, atoning for your sin, repairing our estrangement from God, and that the resurrection and the gift of his spirit is proof of Jesus' identity. But I want you to take note of Peter's tone. His tone is kind of like, hey, you blew it. You messed up. You don't measure up. And at one point, he says, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And the crowd goes, well, what do we do? And then Peter says this, verse 38. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 39, take note of this. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. I don't know how many times you've listened to Acts chapter 2. Um, you're probably like, oh, oh yeah, repent and be baptized. This sounds familiar. But that last phrase, the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off for whom the Lord our God will call. He's talking about the promise of sins being forgiven, and of experiencing God's Spirit. And he's simply saying, you know, it's for you as individuals, it's for your descendants, but then all who are far off, who's that? Anybody who's far away from God. I mean, that includes me and you, far off from Jerusalem, where he says this to 2,000 years later in North Bend, that's far off. I mean, this is prophetic. It's for everyone. The promise of God is for everyone. For all the Lord our God will call. So let me ask, do you hear the Lord? And no, this is not a mental wellness check-in. Okay, Are you hearing voices that no one else hears? Now, do you hear the Lord in your life on a regular basis? I, I used to avoid asking this question because I was, I was nervous. I was nervous uh, that people would, A, get the wrong idea, or that I would get a really wacky answer. And you can't argue with someone once they say, well, the Lord told me, Right? And so it's best just to like, just don't even go there. We'll just circumvent the... But I, I, I was so worried that this might encounter, or it might encourage bad behavior. But I realized that really has more to do about my lack of faith and trust in God. Because the fact of the matter is, you 
I can and should learn to hear God's voice in our life and then know what to do with it. Because God still speaks to us and we can train ourselves to hear him. And so moving forward in our life together as a church, uh, I want everyone who's a part of our church family to learn three basic things. We'll call them tools. And ultimately, it's going to help us to have a life that's shaped like Jesus, which is the point of following Jesus. And the three things I want us all to learn have to do with listening. It's hearing God's voice, knowing what to do with it. The second one has to do with relationships. And the, the words that you're going to hear repeated over and over again are that we would live an up, in, and out life. Those have to do with the relational rhythms that Jesus has that we see in Scripture. And the third thing that I want all of us to, to, to learn to do has to do with life rhythms. It's living in, into the rhythm God gave us of resting and abiding and letting our work and our activity flow from it. Or in short, that we would learn to work from rest, not the other way around. That we would rest from our work. No, we're going to work from our rest. That all of our daily, weekly, monthly, yearly habits would take this form. That we're abiding in Christ and everything else flows out of it. And so these tools all have really easy to remember shapes associated with them. And I've gradually been kind of rolling this out. Some of you have learned the shapes or you've seen me do this before. But I want this to become part of the fabric of Cascade Covenant Church, part of the fabric of your own daily life. And so the first one I'm, I'm going to do for you just real quickly here, uh, it's called the learning circle. This is the one that applies to hearing God. I've done this from up front before, maybe, maybe two or three times. Um, but repetition is great isn't it? And so the learning circle has to do with how we hear God's voice. In Mark chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus is kind of, you know, making his, it's the, you know, here's Jesus at the beginning of Mark, and he's like, he says, the time is near. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. And so the, the, the word that he uses when he says the time is near, that's, that's the one that I, I want you to kind of like grab onto because it's a very specific word. Greek has several words to describe um, time, and one is chronos, and that's just kind of like time in general. And then there's, then there's this, you know, if this is time, chronos is like that. Then there's this moment the time is near. That's kairos. And so that's what Jesus is talking about. And as it applies to our faith, there are times where we kind of go, huh, was God trying to say something? I mean, it's heaven breaking into earth. I think God was trying to get my attention. And here's the stupidly simple shape. In fact, Dell informed me once that, I don't know, E.F. Hutton or somebody developed this first for decision-making. 
And then some Christians somewhere ripped it off and applied it to listening to the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, the first, the first thing you're asking has to do with what just happened. We're observing. And the next thing is, why did that happen? We're reflecting. And then the third thing that we're going to do, this is really important, is that we're going to discuss this with another Christian. Because, did I hear God? I think this is what I heard. And then you're making sure that you're not thinking something really strange. And, and after that, you know, we're going to come up with a plan. We, and this is where it starts to feel like E.F. Hutton, right? A plan. We're going to get some accountability or some feedback on that plan, and then we're going to do it. And if you're making a major change in life, like, I think God wants me to change careers. You know, this is going to last a long time. And then there's other things that just happen in our day, and we might go around the circle just bang like that. This is ongoing. It isn't just once and done. God is constantly at work in our lives, in and around us, and we can learn to hear from him. Um, an example for me would be, uh, man, I don't know if this was six months a year ago, um, I, I was standing in the floor. I remember the spot. So that's, that's also a way that you, you can go, I th that's one of those moments. Like there's this very vivid, ongoing thing that happened. And uh, Danny Kolke was there, and uh, we were talking about something, and I don't even remember what the something was. But he just, I, was, I had all these things I was, I was clicking off. You got to do this and this and this and this and this. And he's in a way of like trying to tell me to relax. He goes, man, Dan, you worry, you worry a lot. And then, you know, he says whatever. But that, when he said, you worry a lot, that landed. And I remember going, that's weird why, like, okay, file it away mentally, I'll come back. I spent the next couple days thinking about why? Well, you worry a lot. And it was the Holy Spirit's way of nudging me to say, like, hey, relax. I've got this. There's all these things, bigger things in my life that I'm so worried about that I really don't have any control over, which can make you freak out even more. But I heard that as God's invitation to just relax. It was like God was saying, I've got this. That's an example of hearing God's voice in real time and then figuring out what to do with it. Every single follower of Jesus <clears throat> can, and I'll say should, learn how to hear God's voice and know what to do with it. And so uh, as it relates to Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost, I'm not saying that Peter stopped to draw this, you know, simple diagram. I am saying that even though we're 2,000 years removed from Peter, the Lord's still calling people who are far off. And the promise is the same, that you're forgiven, that the gift of the Holy Spirit is for you. God's people have continued to rely and hear from the Lord ever since. And you know what? We can help you learn. Which brings me 
to the second way that we encounter Jesus throughout our week. It's together. Together we encounter Jesus. From Sunday to Sunday to Sunday. And Peter invited people to turn to Jesus to receive promised forgiveness, the gift of the Spirit, and around 3,000 people that day responded. And then I want you to look at what happened. This is Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So this is a description of the the early church, the first church in Jerusalem. Most of you have probably heard this passage. And I I, want to point out something that maybe you have or haven't noticed. It's what they did together. Did you notice how many times it was reiterated that they were doing things together? They devoted themselves. Uh, Everyone was filled with awe. All the believers were together everything in common they sold property give to anyone in need every day they continue to meet together they broke bread in their homes and ate together glad and sincere hearts praising god and enjoying the favor of all the people and the lord added to their number daily i mean look at all that's happening who wouldn't want to be a part of that amen they did everything together And so that's my next proposal here at Cascade Covenant. We're going to do everything together. No, I'm just kidding. All right. This has to do with what the church is. And the first thing that stands out is that God has brought us together. We might all have different backgrounds. We might come from different uh, parts of the country or world. We have different experiences and personalities. Uh, I mean... We are very different people. And we probably wouldn't be together if it wasn't for the life that we share in Christ. And we definitely wouldn't stay together very long if we didn't rely on his Holy Spirit. So whenever I talk about the church, it feels like I'm either preaching to the choir or I'm judging people who aren't here. That's not my intention. But this is an extremely important topic for me and for us. Because we need clarity on what the church is. And uh, if you've been around Cascade Covenant over the last couple years, you've heard me say the phrase, you know, like, please know that you don't just go to church. You are the church. And over the last few years, that, I feel like the Lord has made that especially clear to me on just how like laser focused we as a group of people need to be about that because it's like gravity that sucks us back into church in our mind is this 
place, which it's okay, but it's, you know, on the corner of 436 and Cedar Falls, and it's a time slot that happens on Sunday. And this week I was uh, doing some research on this topic. It's always really interesting, like demographically, the Pew Research Foundation, which is, you know, a really huge um, study foundation. They, they've been tracking church attendance. Uh, that's just something they do. I guess they're Pew Research, right? P-E-U. And th- so they just published this big study in, uh, again in November 2022. And it was about like church attendance over the last few years. And in their words, they've noticed there has been a slight decrease in church attendance pre-pandemic, post-pandemic, which that's probably what got me to click on it first because I laughed out loud, like slight decrease? Are you kidding me? And then I realized like, oh, they're statisticians, right? They're, if the marketing people were, you know, this is a massive decrease. Um, but then I read, I read the study, it's fascinating. They've, they, they followed people like from 2019 to 2022 and they were talking to them about their church attendance patterns and 87% of them said that they were virtually unchanged. Now that has to do with some people who don't attend any church services, but then that also includes people who attend all the time and everything. And 90% of people responded, these are people they're tracking. Like, no, there hasn't been really any any change in my, my pattern. And I was just like, people are liars. <laughs> what do you mean 90%? Like, that's just not true. And so then I, I started undoing it. That was like self-reporting. So in people's mind, they're like, oh yeah, it's about the same. But in reality, things are real different. You know that for people under 30, this is nationwide, this is the number they came up with. People under 30, 70% have not participated or been to any kind of worship service in the last month or longer. That's a lot. In Washington State, we lead the country in the group of people who have no religious affiliation whatsoever. And I can't even find current statistics. Like the last one is like 2015 to 2019, somewhere in there. It was 32%. I wonder what it is now. No religion, I'm talking all religions. They just, nothing. They're called the nuns. This is the world that I live in. This is the world that we live in. And the reason why it's, you, you already knew that Washington State, the Pacific Northwest, you know, is very unchurched. There's, there's not a lot of folks willing to give up a Sunday morning from the great outdoors to show up here. So why would we do it? This is why I keep harping on, you don't go to church. You are the church. Together, there's something that God makes happen when we gather, when we worship him, when we interact, when we pray for one another, 
We do it corporately once a week because we need this pattern, this rhythm, and then we scatter throughout wherever we are going during our week, but we're still the church. We're still Jesus with skin on to one another and whoever else he leads into our life. And so we have to be crystal clear on what it is that we're doing here. We're people. We are a people. And God is with us, wants to do something in and through us. The most graphic, easy to latch onto image is the body of Christ. That's what the Apostle Paul tells us. Just as a body, through, though one has many parts, we all form one body, so it is with Christ. For we all are baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. When we talk about attending or participating or going to church, it, that isn't what we've been called to do. We've been called to be part of a body. And you can't quit a body. Why would you want to? Unthinkable. And so as we wrap our brains around like what that means, our body needs every part functioning. We're interconnected. We're interdependent. And together, the power of Jesus and his Holy Spirit flows in and through us. And so short of you going home and, you know, I, I, someone's like, hey, so what happened at church today? What was the sermon about? And you're like, well, Pastor Dan gave us this, you know, pep talk on why we should come to church. No. He gave us this pep talk on why I am part of Christ's body, why I am the church, why we are the church. Together, I as an individual can and should experience the presence of Jesus in my life and notice what he's doing around me every single day. Do I do that? No, because I get distracted. But when I come here on Sunday morning and I'm surrounded by other people, I'm reminded that God's alive. Jesus is alive. And I hear the stories and the things going on and the, even if they're really bad things that are happening, I see the comfort of God and the presence of God and the Spirit of God alive and at work among us. That's why church and why we need one another. So at the close of our time, this morning we're going to share communion. And Sometimes it's called the Eucharist, which is short for Thanksgiving. Communion highlights what it is that we're doing here. We're communing with each other at the same time we've got God's presence that we're communing with. And so as we shift gears here, I want to invite you to come to this, this table Tables are places where families sit down together and they share fellowship and presence with one another.
That's what we get to do as the body of Christ. And so if you've made Jesus the, the leader of your life, if, if you've come to him for forgiveness of your sins, you've received his spirit, I mean, you are invited to participate in this meal. And so I, I want to invite you to take just a, just a moment of silent confession if you need to, of prayer, of whatever you need to do to ready yourselves for this meal. Um, please take a moment and do so now. God of grace, thank you that when I confess my sins to you, you are faithful and just, forgiving and purifying me from all unrighteousness. I receive your forgiveness now. Lord, we are so grateful and thank you, thankful for the forgiveness that we receive through you, the life that we find in you. Well, I'd like to invite those of you who are helping to serve communion this morning forward and how this works in just a second I'll say the words of institution and then invite you forward and you take one of the, the wafers which is the body of Christ broken for you and you dip it in the cup which is the blood of Christ the new covenant in his blood hear these words of institution for I received from the Lord what I also handed on to you, says the Apostle Paul, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Amen. Please rise and receive this benediction. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you. See you next week.